you make me out to be some cruel woman. It's true, I am. No, I'm joking. Gosh, what a great church. No? Do you enjoy being part of your church? Well, we'll warm you up, shall we? No, but what a great church. I'm kind of a little bit confused why this is not bigger. This is like Aberdeen's best-kept secret. Like, seriously, this is an incredible church. Such amazing people, gifted people, uh, but real pastors, shepherds. Oh, this is really cute. My son's actually actually sitting on the front row. He never listens to me preach because I'm quite boring for him. But I think he's so tired, he can't be bothered to move. So he's, uh, he's going to have to listen to me with the little Olaf. But it's so great to be here and with Pastor Kevin and Cheryl. Gosh, what an amazing couple. And uh, just constantly giving, giving in love, giving in words, giving in time, and giving in cups of tea, which I feel like I've had a lot of at your house. But, you know, Colin and I have come here to minister and to preach, but I feel like I've been on some country retreat opening the windows in the morning to like, I don't even know where I am, somewhere in Scotland. Uh, But such a beautiful, beautiful place, beautiful church, beautiful people. Thanks for hosting us and uh, just an incredible family. And, you know, you inspire people with what you're building, but you inspire people more with who you are. And you're just amazing people. Great kids. And Austin is obsessed with Boaz. (laughs) Obsessed. I'm wondering, can we take him home with us? Because we could do like a living nanny or something. It's good. Awesome. Well, I've got a great word for you um, tonight. I, uh, I really have faith for miracles in the place tonight. I really believe that God wants to do something powerful. love what Colin preached this morning. He preached a message to build the church, uh, to build your life within the house of God. And I want to come tonight and preach a message. I want to stir your faith for what God can do. When we look and we think, oh gosh, this is an impossible situation. There's no way God can move through this. Let me tell you, he can. God is the God that can break down walls. God is the God uh, that no opposition can stand against him. No power can stand against him. No principality can stand against him. No man can stand against him. Heaven and earth is at his hand. And I want to remind you tonight, you've come into church, but you've entered into the presence of an almighty God. Anything can take place in your life tonight. Any miracle can take place because God's presence is here. And uh, I want to encourage you, open your hearts, uh, be expectant in faith, and uh, God's going to do something awesome. So if you've got your Bibles, um, you can turn with me to John 4. If you don't have your Bibles, it's okay because it comes on the screen. And I think you have a different version to what I'm going to read from, um, but uh, I like to read it from Chinese versions. So I'm... Don't know why I did that. Anyway. So, so John, I really, really need to behave tonight because there's a man here that will lead me astray if I go anywhere near any jokes or anything. So focus. Okay. So John 4. Okay. Sorry. Focus. Edit, edit on the, <laughs> edit on the po- podcast. I didn't just, I didn't just drop the f bomb, did I? <gasps> oh, Scotland. So, so John four. Please put it on the screen to distract us from this moment. Okay, so John four. What am I preaching here? Okay, John four. This is a great story in the Bible. Um, okay, they've picked up verse 43. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to jump down to verse 46. And so this is uh, a story about Jesus because he's great. So he came again into Cana in Galilee where he, had met, where he had made the water 
into wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, will you not believe? And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Now let's pick up this. This is awesome. It says in verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them, the hour when he began to get better and they said to him they said to him just a minute I've lost my line it's so good I'm lost in red text right here no 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 because it's a different version Colin just don't interfere did I interfere with you this morning no I didn't you sit quietly please okay so he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. The seventh hour. I want to preach a message tonight called the seventh hour. Because I guess represented in this room tonight, our situations, our circumstances that maybe feel like they're slipping away from you. They may even feel like this father did about his son. They're at the brink of death. Situations, whether they're a relationship in your life and it feels like it's slipping away. Whether it's, you know, a family member or a friend. Whether it's just your own self. You feel like you've been battling insecurities. You've been fighting against fear for so long. And you just feel like you're at the brink of the end of yourself. Because you just can't fight this battle anymore. The seventh hour. I'm believing tonight for some seventh hour moments to take place in this room tonight. Some Something's going to take place in the room tonight in your situations and your circumstances. Something's going to shift. Something's beginning to begin to turn in your, in your world. You see, seven is the number of completeness and perfection. At the perfect time, your, your situation is going to begin to turn. At the complete time, at the time that heaven de- destined for your life, that relationship that you feel is slipping away is all of a sudden going to begin to recover in this room tonight. I am believing for something to shift and turn. You know, and some of you tonight, you might be experiencing your sixth hour. The, the hour before the seventh hour, if you're not very good at maths. Your sixth hour. You're at that point where you're saying to God, I need a miracle. If I don't get a miracle now, this thing is going to die. You might be in the room tonight and you're in your third hour, your fourth hour, your fifth hour, your sixth hour. But let me prophesy over your life tonight that the seventh hour shall follow. The seventh hour awaits for your life. The seventh hour when everything changes. The seventh hour when everything turns around. The seventh hour when that what looks impossible is about to become possible. The seventh hour when you think you're about to have to have a funeral and God brings about a change 
a shifting, a healing, a restoration. And that is what I'm believing for tonight. Is anybody with me? It's good. Well, I shared yesterday with um, Route 66, uh, the leaders, uh, that I'm not a patient person. Okay? I'm not a patient person. Uh, I don't like waiting. And I, I do think God got it wrong when he emphasizes so much how we, have to need, like, we need to have patience. I'm like, why? What, what is the point of patience? Anyway, so I don't really like waiting. And, uh, and I really don't like uh, waiting rooms and doctor surgeries and things. And we, we've got two kids. We've got Austin, who's three, and India, who's six months old. And, uh, and both times uh, through my pregnancies, I've had to go for like additional scans and have additional care just because I grow small babies, okay? So they've always have to kind of, you know, not big babies, small babies. So Austin was like £4.15 when he was born. So I only have little babies. So I had to have kind of consultant care and all that. And I was going backwards and forwards to the hospital, which is okay on your first baby because you're all so excited about your first baby. But the second baby, you know, you kind of, you've been at the hospital before, been there, done that. And, you know, the, the best thing about the waiting room uh, at our hospital, we, we go to the Jessup's Hospital in Sheffield. And the most exciting thing you can do in the Jessup's Hospital waiting room is get yourself a cup of water. Like, Colin and I would sit there, and you were waiting for hours. There's a reason they call it the waiting room and not the appointment room, okay? There's a bit of a statement been made there. And, and we would sit there, and it would be like that kind of 20 minutes into waiting, and I'd look at Colin and say, do you want a cup of water? He'd say, oh, go on, let's have a cup of water. Go on then. Shall I get it? No, 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 no. Yeah, I'll go get it. And you go off and you, you go find the little water tub and pour yourself a little cup of water. You come back, you drink your water, and then 10 minutes later you say, Should we have another one? Let's have another one. That's like absolutely nothing to do in the waiting room. And it's about, you get just so excited about getting a cold cup of water. But you know, if you go to the dictionary and you open up and look at what the definition of waiting is, it's basically a flight to Australia. That's what it says. You should look. You should get on your phones right now and Google. Don't go on Facebook. Google. It's what it says. True true story. And we went to Australia back in April. And uh, let me paint the picture, okay? I am four months pregnant, going to Australia for approximately four days for a conference and flying back, okay? So the flight out there is epic. It's awesome. We've got friends there. Colin's there. We've got Pastor Dave there. And a uh, couple of our team and things and it's so much fun and I love Tetra so I was like on Tetris the whole way for like 24 hours straight and uh, and I was loving it um, but because I was pregnant and I'd left Austin at home I wanted to cut my trip really really short so everybody stayed out there and I flew back by myself okay I don't know if you know about the personality types the cleric the sanguine the melancholic the phlegmatic okay I'm the cleric okay so I just want to get it done and I want to get it done quick but I'm also sanguine, so I'm choleric sanguine. So I want to get it done, and I want to get it done quick, but I want to do it with people. I don't want to do it by myself. I want some people around. So you put a pregnant woman on a plane by herself. It's already started bad. She's pregnant. She's emotional, okay? Add into the fact she's choleric. She is not patient. And add into that she's a sanguine. She's okay as long as there's people there. And then you have my life on this flight. And it was the most horrendous day of my life. I had to start off uh, getting on the plane in Australia and the first leg of the flight is maybe about eight hours. Eight hours. Eight. On a plane, eight. No friends, no one by my side, okay? Four months pregnant. And what do you do when you're four months pregnant? You cry all the time. All the time. I'm by myself. 
I'm on a plane. I don't know you. Can I have some water? I am crying. I'm pregnant. But I wasn't like, I wasn't visibly pregnant because I thought if I'm visibly pregnant, I'll get like the best seats and everything. But I wasn't visibly pregnant. So I was kind of like, are you really pregnant or are you just a bit chubby? You know, it's kind of like, mm, not quite sure which one you are. So I didn't ever get the best seats on the house because nobody believed I was pregnant. So I'm like totally emotional. So we go on this flight for eight hours and it wasn't until like a, a, about a week before we left that I discovered that the girl that booked um, the flights, who isn't a mum and uh, just clearly doesn't care about me at all, decided to book a flight with a 13, 13 hour wait in Kuala Lumpur Airport. Yeah. Mm. She didn't have a job when she got home. I was like, you jog on, you're rubbish. 13 hours in Kuala Lumpur Airport. Listen, if you're from Kuala Lumpur, from Malaysia, I'm sure you live a wonderful life. But I don't want to eat fish eyes at 2 o'clock in the morning. And it was just, it was horrendous. I was like, right, okay, oh. Okay, I'll go have a shower. I'll go have a shower. Okay, right, past 10 minutes. I'm like, oh, right, okay, I'll go get myself a drink. I'll go to the buffet and see if there's anything other than fish eyes. Okay, I've passed another 20 minutes, 13 hours. And then I got on a plane uh, to come back to England. And then that, that flight's like another 13 hours or nine hours or something. That's the longest leg. And I got onto the plane and I sat next to this guy and he was a lovely guy. I think he was Irish. And um, got chatting and all this. And it kind of, I was so thankful because I had the window seat, but I was pregnant. Did I mention four months pregnant? And all you can do on a flight, like a waiter room, is drink water. So I'm pregnant, I'm drinking water, I need to wee all the time. So thankfully this guy was really kind and he swapped seats so I could be on the aisle and keep, keep getting up and out to the toilet. And he was a lovely man. I was like, oh, thank you God for putting me next to this nice guy. And he was talking to me about his kids and horses or something. And, uh, but within about an hour, I was thinking, what's that noise? You need a wee wee, love. Yeah. I was like, what's that noise? Like, what's that noise? And then I realized he's got sinus problems. Listen, nine hours next to... <coughs> I, I, oh, gosh. I did everything within me to hold back. And I just... Uh, Do you want a tissue? Would you like a tissue? Tissue, blow it out. And at the end, because I kept offering him tissues or glasses of water, because if he was drinking, he couldn't snore. And I was just, oh, I was dying. And you know when you, you're trying to sleep, but you do the, the face thing, because your arm always slips off the arm. And it was just horrendous. And when we got off the flight, he just turned to me and said, thanks so much for your kindness. Because I was offering him tissues. I'm thinking, kindness, kindness. You don't know the half of it. You don't know how kind I have just been to you by not saying, shut up, little Mr. Piggy. It was horrendous. But then comes a moment when you land and you get off the plane, and you'll know what I'm talking about, Scotland. When you walk out and you feel the cold nip in the air, and you think, I'm home, I'm in England, it's freezing. And in that moment, everything just dissolves. The emotion of being by myself just went. That kind of, oh, I really miss my kids just went. The moment just kind of all of a sudden, every emotion I'd felt just went in this one moment because I was home and I'd reached the place I wanted to be. Because one of the most difficult things to deal with in life is the process of time. Imagine being the father of a son who is dying. Imagine what that sixth hour would have felt like. Imagine looking at your son, watching him before your eyes fade away. 
feeling desperate and feeling lost in this moment of how on earth am I going to get myself out of this hell that I am living? Imagine the sixth hour moment that he was feeling. And, and I think so often in life we find ourselves in that sixth hour moment looking and waiting and hungering and desiring a miracle. But I want to, um, I guess, give you a few keys tonight from this story and from what this man did in his sixth hour and from what we need to do on the eve of a great miracle. Because we can do one of two things. We can accept that this thing is about to shrivel up and die. We can accept that this is about to just, this is the end here. This is the end of the road. Or we can make a decision to put our trust and our hope in an everlasting God that can turn any situation around and we can choose to believe for a seventh hour miracle. So I want to give you a couple of things tonight. The first thing that this guy did in his sixth hour and the first thing we need to do tonight is revise your request. Revise your request. You see, this man would have, he would have witnessed many miracles from Jesus. He may have even been at the wedding where Jesus turned the water into wine. He would have seen Jesus before many, many miracles. But this is the thing. It's one thing to witness a miracle in someone else's life. It's a completely different thing to believe God for a miracle in your own life, in your own family. See, this man had to make a decision to believe for something he had never seen before. He had never seen take place in his family ever before. You see, in my life, I've seen many miracles take place. You know, I've seen financial miracles where, you know, we've booked holidays in faith and God's paid them off. I've seen miracles of health in my family. Seen so many different miracles take place. But you see, what I began to realize is that often through familiarity, we believe God for the same measure that we've always seen. And we forget to believe God for more than we've ever seen. We always look at what God has done in our life and think, well, he could repeat that. And we sometimes forget to believe that he could repeat that answer. And you know, in our life, we... We do have a, a real desire in our life for Colin and I. We love to be generous with people, but we love to be financially generous, but we really have a heart to build the church on every capacity. So we give heaps of time uh, to church. We give heaps of, you know, our gift to church, but we really want to be able to give lots of our finance to church. You know, we're only just kind of in our 30s, and so the measure that you can be generous and the measure that you can give is only by what your income is. And so we made a decision as a couple in our 20s, we need to create some wealth, we need to get some investments going, because we want to be able to give to a measure we've never given before. And we can stay here and accept that this is just our portion, this is just our salary, or we can make a decision to believe God for something we've never seen before. So I thought, I'm going to believe God for £10,000. I thought, that sounds like a good figure. And I just had this moment, this blink moment of faith where I thought, I'm going to believe God for £10,000. Now listen, I've maybe been able to believe God for £1,000 before. I've maybe been able to believe God for a holiday. But never have I been able to believe God for £10,000. But the position we were in was we owned a home and we wanted to buy a second home because we wanted to start get some investment going. And so I said to God, I have saved money, but in order for us to buy a house, you're going to have to bring in £10,000 for us to make up that money. And I dared to believe God for something I had never seen before, 
or and something that I had no idea how on earth that would take place. It was completely impossible because my parents are generous, but they're not that generous. My grandparents are rich, but they're not that rich, okay? So this was completely impossible. And you know, you hear these stories about the checks coming through the post and everything, but it's never you, is it? It's always somebody else. And so this was, in my eyes, completely impossible, but there was a sense of faith on this prayer I prayed. I didn't pray, pray it every day. I probably prayed it once, and I just left it with God, and I believed. And you know, over those 12 months, we found out that we had 13,000 pounds that we could access, that we didn't even know it was there. So through a series of events, we didn't just get 10,000 pounds, we got about 13,000 pounds. And in fact, that money was always there and we had no idea it was always there for us. And I don't think the key to unlock that was somebody telling me it was there. I think the key to unlock that was my faith that said, you know what, God, I'm going to believe for something I have never seen you do in my family before. Let me challenge you tonight. What are you believing God for that is so outrageous there is no chance it can happen without a miracle? Because often we believe God for things and we think, oh yeah, I'm going to believe God for that. But secretly I kind of know that if I tell somebody I need a new car, I know that they'll buy me one. You know, you know those people, you think if I drop it in, they'll just pay for it. Dave Gilpin's like that. Mention it. Oh yeah, Dave. Tire's gone on the car. Next one. Oh, we'll pay for your tire. Great, thanks. That's why I mentioned it, you know. He's actually the most generous man I know, so I constantly call him. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're great day. Just a leaky roof and, you know, a couple of new floorboards needed. But we're, we're fine. Oh, sure, great. I'll send you the bill. Thanks. Because sometimes we kind of can work out how we can get this miracle. Sometimes we think, well, if maybe I do this or I ask so-and-so to help out, then maybe we can fix this thing. But what are you believing God for right now in your life that there is no chance it will come to pass unless God brings a miracle? We need to, as Christians, revise our request and dare to believe for bigger things. No longer associating ourselves just with what we've seen, but what we are going to see in our future. And Pastor Phil Pringle said this, and this is, I guess, what really hit me. He said, you've got to live give and believe from the echo of your future, not of your past. You've got to live, give and believe from the echo of your future, not of your past. What is your future crying out to you today saying? What is your future demanding of you? Forget the past, forget the former things, they are done. What is the future requiring, requiring of your faith life? Come on, let's begin to revise our request. The second thing that this father does, which I just find incredible. And the, the second thing we need to do tonight is we've got to leave the bedside. Verse 47, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him. He went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now, this journey for this father wasn't a trip down the road. This wasn't a case of hopping in his little car, starting up the engine, driving a couple of miles to find Jesus to say, hey, could you come back with me and heal my son? He traveled for over a day to just get to Jesus. He didn't have a mobile phone to call home and say, how's my son doing? Hey, how's it going? He couldn't phone every five minutes or text in, hey, how's my son, is he okay? When he left his son, 
he left him having no clue what was taking place in his absence. He had to sit probably on a camel, maybe, yeah, I think a camel. I don't think they had quad bikes in those days, did they, across the desert? When we went to Egypt, we were straight on the quad bikes. I was like, if this is how Moses hung out, like, then I totally would have lived in those days. He would have had to travel over a day just to get to Jesus. Once he got to Jesus, he made his request. He had to travel again another day to get back to his son. Can you imagine the moment he left the bedside? Can you imagine parents in the room leaving your child sick and ill, having to travel for 24 hours and then another 24 hours not knowing what you would find when you returned. There comes a time when you need to leave the bedside. You need to relinquish control. He had to walk away not knowing, not knowing what would happen when he was gone. He had to leave the bedside and go in search of Jesus. Just because you relinquish control does not mean that you've lost faith. Just because you have said, I can't do this anymore, God, doesn't mean you've lost faith. This is the start of your faith. When you take your hands off and go in search of Jesus, that is when your faith life is triggered and activated. You see, I remember going on school trips and they, would, they used to take us on school trips to caves. What is that? Oh, I'm so educated. I've been in a cave. What did you learn? Nothing. You only go on a school trip for one thing, and that's the gift shop. You come home, I've got my rubber, my roller, my pencil, and my biro, and a pencil case. Gift shops are epic. I kind of love just having a kid, because I'm going to live out all the things I loved about childhood through him. I'll be like, let's go to the gift shop, Austin. I'll take everything that's branded and labeled. I love it. But... I remember going on this trip to this cave and, and I was kind of like right back at the kind of the back of the crew and, and I hate not, I don't, I am claustrophobic, okay? So this wasn't a great trip for me. I don't like caves, I feel claustrophobic and I found myself on this trip trying to kind of like, trying to kind of, every time there was a, a stop in the, in the cave, oh, let us all look to the left when you can see a fossil. Great. As they were all looking, I'd kind of like run around a few people so I could get in front of them and then, oh, let's look to our right water's coming in water's coming in ah! and then I'd run to kind of get to the front <laughs> oh gosh no I don't oh the thought of being in a cave with dripping water oh gosh freaks me out Lord deliver me from that image but I couldn't I could never cope with being at like the back of the group and I was used to try and muscle my way to the front to try and see where I was going I didn't I don't like not being able to see where I'm going I wanted the kind of the clear path and I think there's times in life where we're trying to etch ourselves to our way to the front to see what's going on because we're in fear because we can't see we've left that bedside but we, we want to get back to it and we're rushing around and we're pushing our way through listen there's times in life when you're going to have to stand at the back of that queue you're not going to be able to see what God is doing. You're going to raise your voice and feel like it's not been heard. But listen, you've got to know that as you leave the bedside to go in search of Jesus, Jesus never leaves your bedside. That's the cool thing about Jesus. He can be in two places at once when you can't. It's okay to wave your white flag. It's okay to say, hey God, I'm finished now. 
And listen, I'm not preaching this message because it's a nice message. I'm preaching this message because we've had to leave the bedside this past 12, 24 months. Personally, we've had one of the toughest years we've ever had, and we have had to leave the bedside. Listen, I am not absent of faith over my situation. I am not absent of believing God for a miracle, but I've had to leave the bedside because I want to fix it. I want to sort it. Listen, there's times you're not going to fix it, and you're not going to sort it. Your strength will run dry. You will exhaust yourself over the miracle, but God's strength never runs dry, and he is never exhausted over your miracle. Come on, some of you tonight, you need to relinquish control and leave the bedside. Excuse me. That wasn't like an emotional breaking down here, just to clarify. I'm not that kind of girl. Joking. The the third thing tonight that this, this guy did and we need to do in the sixth hour is we need to believe the word. Verse 50, it says, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And it says that the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. This is the thing. Jesus didn't actually lay hands on this boy. There wasn't a physical miracle that took place. Jesus didn't return to the boy. The boy wasn't taken to him. Jesus was miles and miles and miles apart. All this father had from Jesus was his word. No physical sign of a healing. He just had a word. You see, there's two types of word. You have the Logos word, which is the said word of God. That when we read the said word of God, when we read the Bible, we get understanding, we get knowledge. But you see, then there's the rhema word of God. And that when the rhema word of God comes, everything changes. The rhema word of God is the saying word of God. And when the rhema word comes and hits your life, faith is imparted. It hits your spirit and it banishes all logic, all fact. It banishes what you see and leaves you with a rhema word. You know, like when someone gets up on the platform after worship and they begin to share a word from their heart. And they begin to say, you've come into church that evening and you're battling, you're fighting with things in your past and you feel like you're constantly, you've kind of, you've got saved, but you feel like you're always reverting back. And then someone gets on the platform and they say, hey, come on tonight, you know, you're a new creation. The old has gone. There we go. Awesome job. And someone gets on the platform and they say, hey, look, come on, you're a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And you're sat there thinking, how the heck did you just read my diary or something? And that word hits you. And all of a sudden, faith rises in your heart and says, hey, do you know what? You're right, God. I am a new creation. A rhema word hits your heart. And you have to be in the Logos word in order to get a rhema word. But when a rhema word comes into your life, the same word of God, everything changes. And this man had a rhema word from God. He said, listen, go, your son will be made well. But what I love about this moment, the most powerful thing in the scriptures, it says in verse 53, the father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he believed and all his household. The emphasis wasn't just on what God said. The emphasis was on the fact. And he believed Jesus's word. See, the rhema word in your life needs an and. 
What is the point in God speaking if you don't believe it? I will just say it as it is, <laughs> just for a moment, and then I'll return to pastoral. What is the point in God speaking into your life if we cannot have the courage to simply say, and I believe? Mary in the Bible amazes me because she's visited by an angel and she's told she's pregnant, she's a virgin. She already knew that part. She didn't get told that part. She knew that. You're a virgin. Should I sing Madonna? No. She gets visited by an angel as a virgin, told she's pregnant with the Savior of the world. She'd be thinking, quite literally, not on your Nelly, pal. That is just insane. Like, that's just ridiculous. But when you read the scripture, it just simply says, and she believed what the angel said. She said, as you have said it, let it be. She just simply believed. She didn't do anything special. She didn't do anything magic. She didn't get up on a, pre on a platform and start preaching. She just said, okay, I, as you've said it to me, I, let it be. I believe. Some of you here tonight, God has spoken to you. He's spoken to you about your children. He has spoken to you about your financial situation. He's, he's spoken to you about your place in this house. Some of you are questioning, is this my house? Do I have a fit? Do I have a place? And God's spoken to you and affirmed you that this is your house. And you're still, uh, just add on the end of this rhema word from God. And I believed that what you have said to me will come to pass. Because it's your belief in God's word into your life that has the ability to release a miracle. God doesn't work outside of you. He works in partnership with you. God doesn't come in and bulldoze through your life a miracle that you're not actually believing for. God comes, he gives you a great promise, and when you choose to believe, he brings about a great miracle. It's your belief that will unlock your miracle tonight. And the final thing, and the band can uh, jump up and then come on the platform. Please don't just jump up and sit back down. That would be completely weird. You have like 2,500 band members, don't you? Can we have some? Would you mind if we take some back? Well, I'd like these. <laughs> I like these people. I want Anna. <laughs> and the final thing tonight that this guy did and we need to do in our sixth hour is simply go your way. He says, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Listen, tomorrow, fireworks is not going to hit your house in the morning and you're going to feel the presence of God in a way like you've never done before. You're going to get up, you're going to feel a bit grumpy and you're going to go to work. That's the reality, isn't it? You come out of this beautiful environment where like, Hyde is taking you to heaven and Anna's taking you to heaven and, and then you wake up you feel grumpy you've got to go to work but that that's go your way that's go your way you get up and you go to university about 3 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs> go your way but go your way with faith in your heart go your way with a belief in your spirit Go your way with a conviction 
that you are on the brink of your seventh hour moment. Go your way in the routine of life and know that your seventh hour awaits. Now I've said all this, you can forget all that as long as you listen to me now. Because this, what takes place in this moment is beautiful. It says in verse 51, And as he was going down to his servants, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Hmm. Recovering. I mean, you'd prefer your son is healed and whole and sorted and fine. And he's got a life guarantee. But he's told, hey, your son's recovering. I think sometimes we become to get disheartened when we don't see full health. But this evening, it's enough to know it's in recovery. It's not dying anymore. It's not at the brink of death. It's in recovery. And I think sometimes the problem with Christians that live in la-la land, we believe God for miracles and often miracles take place all around our life, but we don't recognize them because it's in recovery. Listen, when a relationship breaks down in your life, it's very rare that you would go from a broken down relationship into completely restored, fine, no awkwardness, we're okay. It, it, it won't do that journey. When a relationship breaks down in your life, it goes into recovery. When people have car crashes and they're critically ill, they don't just get up out of the hospital bed and walk out. They go into recovery. The same is true for your life tonight. Don't be disheartened if you don't see complete change. Because all you need to know is it's not dying anymore. It is recovering. Pastor Chris Pringle said this one line right at the end of a conference once and she said listen a tree has been chopped down but it will grow again it's been chopped down but it's beginning to grow can't necessarily see it's growing it's a tree unless you stand there maybe for multiple hours you may see some form of growth I don't know I'm not a tree specialist listen stop looking for a flower and just find a shoot you don't need to see rain, you just need to see a cloud. It is not dying anymore, it is in recovery. God made the earth and on the seventh day he rested. This isn't a fighting time anymore, this is a restful time. You have fought in the third hour, you have fought in the fourth hour, the fifth hour, you have been desperately fighting in the sixth hour, and God says, here's your seventh hour, now rest. And watch this thing recover. I prophesied this word in short form at a leaders event a while ago. And I asked the leaders in that moment to prophesy over some sick hour moments. Things that felt like they were slipping through their fingers. Things that felt like they were about to die. Maybe it was departments in the church. Maybe it was their marriage. Maybe it was their kids feeling like they're going away from God. All these things. And I asked them to begin to prophesy. So they did it. It was awesome. And I got down. 
no feedback, no congratulations, nothing. Thought, oh, well, good that. Heard nothing. But I really believed in that moment something significant had taken place. And about a month or so later, Pastor Simon, who leads our Newcastle congregation, he came up to me and said, Oh, Beth, I forgot to tell you. He said, In that moment, I began to lift my hands. There was a couple in our church, a middle-aged couple. They have like teenage kids, and their marriage was just breaking down. It was literally in the sixth hour. It was all about to end. He said, and I lifted my hands and I began to prophesy over this marriage. He said, the next day, I went on Instagram, and they were out on a date. They weren't renewing their wedding vows, but they were on a date. This thing wasn't done and dusted, but their marriage had gone from a sixth hour into a seventh, and they were on a date in recovery. And I believe for so many of you tonight, you've come in on that sixth hour, and you are so desperate to, for God to move a miracle in your life. Listen, I hear you. This is where we've been for the past... 24 months as a couple as we have believed God in our sixth hour and listen I'm going to be honest I still don't see a tree I don't still I don't see a flower but I have seen a shoot and it's enough to know that things are not dying anymore they are in recovery something has turned and something has changed and I'm prophesying over your life tonight as you've come in this room in your sixth hour in the final minute in this place tonight a miracle has taken place why don't we all just drop our kind of Bibles and stuff if you're in this place tonight and you're saying you know what something has been slipping away I need I need that seventh hour moment I want you just with the, uh, eyes closed and heads bowed I want you to lift your hands in response to the message tonight come on no one's looking around this is your moment this is your moment to say not just sit in a chair with your arms by your side thinking oh that was really good but to lift your hands and say I believe that the word you have just spoken to me, God, will happen. I want you to lift your hands to heaven. If you've got your hands lifted, why don't you stand tonight? Come on, let's, let's make this thing stir in our hearts. You believe in God for a seventh hour, I want you to stand. I want you to lift your hands to heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. My God, Father, we declare in your house tonight, Father, that you are the God of the sixth hour. Father, when everything feels like it's about to end, Father God, you intervene. And Father, we prophesy in this house tonight that an intervention has taken place. That Father, your presence here tonight has begun to turn and shift situations. Father, I declare for every parent in this room whose child is away from God. Father, I prophesy right now a seventh hour moment. Something's going to shift and change right now in this moment in their heart. Father, I declare over every person that's lifted their hands tonight over health issues. Father, in their sixth hour, not sure how they can keep going with 
is sing. Father, I declare a seventh hour moment. Father, I prophesy recovery in this place. Father, I declare over marriages, over relationships. Father, I declare, Lord God, Father, what you have joined together. Father, what you have joined together, Father, cannot be taken apart. And Jesus, I declare over relationships and marriage in this room right now that feel like they are about to die. Father, I prophesy the breath of heaven into these lives, into these relationships. And Father, I declare recovery. Recovery. Come on, it's happening right now. He's turning your morning into dancing. Right now in this moment, he's turning your sorrow into joy. Right now in this moment, faith is beginning to rise. He's beginning to fill your heart with peace. He's beginning to fill your heart with joy. He's beginning to fill your heart with heaven in this moment. Father, we thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Jesus, that a seventh hour moment has taken place. Father, it is not dead. It is recovering. It is recovering. And Father, tonight we do relinquish control. We leave that bedside. Some of you here, you have been clinging on. You have fought to fix this. You have fought to make this thing turn around. In this moment, Jesus, we leave the bedside. We allow the King of kings, the Lord of all lords, the one that created heaven and earth, the one that just simply needs to breathe and everything changes, the one that simply needs to speak and at his command everything will change. Father, it's upon that name, the name of Jesus Christ, that tonight we put our faith and we put our belief, we rest our hope, and we anchor ourselves on your name, the name of Jesus Christ, the name that is above all of the names, Jesus, 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 the name that is so great, the name that has rescued our lives from a pit, the name Jesus, the name Jesus, the name that has saved, the name that has dragged our lives and recovered our lives, the name of Jesus, we exalt your name tonight, begin to speak out the name of Jesus, it's it as it's at his name that everything shall change it's at his name that every tongue will confess every knee shall bow it's at his name it's at his name father we declare your lordship tonight we declare your lordship tonight the name of jesus the name of jesus the name of jesus father we prophesy right now lord god that your kingdom will reign and father i prophesy over this house over this church seventh hour father where it feels like it's gone down avenues and found dead ends it's returned and thought which way now what next how do we move where do we go father i declare right now a divine moment taking place in this house father i prophesy father like colin spoke soul after soul dorcas rising soul after soul soul after soul coming into this house father we prophesy this venue will burst at the seams father we declare influential people coming and getting saved in this house influential people father we declare Lord God where nightclubs are taking over 
across this city that your church will begin to take over. Father, I prophesy, Lord God, young adults, young adults meeting, Lord God, in nightclubs. Father, I prophesy young adults meeting in nightclubs. Father, let in the city see, Lord God, that this is a house for the glory of God. Father, and I declare, Lord God, that this house is about to enter a season. Father, your word says, no eye has seen and no ear has heard. Father, this may feel like it's good enough, but Father, you have so much more. Father, you have immeasurably more. Father, I declare, Lord God, a transition season taking place, Lord God. Father, where the old would, would, would move out of the way, Lord God, and make, make room for the new. Father, a new wine would come into this house, a new move of your spirit, a new touch of heaven on this house. Father, I declare, Lord God, over pastors Kevin and Cheryl, Lord God. Father, energize them in a way they've never known. Father, fill their spirit to overflowing. Father, give them great strategy. Give them great strength. Father, let their arms be lifted high to heaven and held, Lord God, and held by you, Jesus. Father, I prophesy, Lord God, that every time they preach, people will be saved. Every time they preach, people will be healed. Every time they preach, marriages will be restored. Every time they preach, backslidden children would return to the house. Father, I declare every time they preach, Lord God, that heaven would move. Heaven would draw back the curtains, Father, and they would experience your spirit in a new way. Father, we thank you. You're a faithful God. You will build your church, Father, and nothing will stand against it. And tonight we give you all the glory, all the praise. We honor you with all we are, Lord God, with everything we have. We lift you up, Father, with a shout of praise. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's begin to lift up the name of Jesus. Awesome. Wow. 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 